Welcome to the Open Source Way. This is SAP's podcast series in which we'll talk about the difference that open source can make. In each episode, we'll talk to a different expert and we'll talk to them about why they do it the open source way. I'm your host, Carsten Hoag, and in this episode, I'm going to talk to Sebastian Wolf or for our international listeners, Sebastian Wolf from the SAP Open Source Program Office. And he was especially involved in building the Corona Warn app for Germany. Should I call you Sebastian or Sebastian during our talk? Well, so Sebastian is okay. So whatever you please. Was that the German version or the English version? I couldn't really make that out. <laughs> Could also use something in between. Anyway. I'll probably do something in between anyway, uh, not being an English native speaker myself. Same, same for Sebastian, me. at least. Sorry? Same for me. I'm also not an English native speaker. Sebastian has been a development architect with SAP for quite a while now. He actually started with SAP in 2003, back then not as an architect, but as a student still. And he's been in different development roles for ABAP development tools, uh, for supplier relationship management. Uh, and since 2020, he's part of the open source program office. And in this role, he has taken care of the Corona Warn App project in a certain role that we will learn from Sebastian soon. But uh, before we learn about that, uh, Sebastian, uh, in this entire Corona situation, um, are you in the office or I seem to remember seeing you in our last video call that you were sitting next to the laundry dryer. That was not really the office, was it? No, no, that wasn't the office. And uh, yeah, thanks for welcoming me uh, here uh, as well. So I'm sitting at home, uh, either uh, in the room with the laundry dryer or on my sofa uh, as it is today. Um, so I think it's now half a year more or less since uh, March 13th. It was actually Friday 13th. Actually do remember that as well. Friday 13th was the day when SAP finally said you're all staying home now, right? Precisely. And I think five days before it was everybody who doesn't have a reason stays home and five days before that everybody who has a reason stays home. Um, Something like that, yeah. Uh, the bad thing is uh, that you're not sitting with a laundry dryer that we cannot talk, or yes, we can, because our listeners do not see us anyway. But with a laundry dryer, you also have quite an army of stuffed animals sitting with you, right? Yes, I do. So, um, yeah, on, on top of my head, behind me, of course, um, uh, you would, under normal circumstances, see uh, Tux, uh, the Linux penguin, uh, yeah, we're, who is with me yeah, since more or less 20 years now, and uh, yeah, now finally uh, working here um, in the open source uh, program office. Uh, but of course, I've been um, an open source enthusiast, Linux enthusiast for quite a while. Um, yeah, so um, I've made my, my hobby, so to say, uh, um, a normal day job. That sounds like what everyone basically dreams of. Uh, I would have to think about what I'd be if my uh, hobby was my job. Uh, my hobby has at least not always been making podcasts, uh, but I like doing that, of course. I like doing that. Um, but let's not get lost into uh, kind of collateral topics here. Um, 
as we're talking about the Corona Warn app for Germany, which is only rolled out in Germany for all I know, at least, uh, can you just briefly explain what it does? Yeah, sure. The Corona Warn app um, is, yeah, like a diary uh, that in a um, you know, more or less anonymous way um, writes a log of all your uh, contacts. You can, in case you are uh, infected, just notify those contacts you have had in the last 14 days based on this based on this log. There's also a huge infrastructure behind uh, to, uh, let's say, also uh, check these uh, anonymous exposure data um, to um, have a connection to the German health infrastructure because all this testing, the, the laboratories um, also need to be connected to this whole infrastructure. That's uh, more or less, um, so on the one hand side, this exposure logging and tracing, and on the other hand, um, the connectivity to the German health landscape. It notifies me if I had contact with someone who is later on diagnosed with the coronavirus. So what was in that project that you were a part of? Uh, what was what was your role in that? I had several roles, or mainly two, so to say. So um, the most uh, prominent one was uh, to kickstart uh, the open source work stream. One of the central aspects was uh, also due to uh, public debate, which we also come to a little later probably. I guess so. That the whole infrastructure needs to be developed in the open um, as open source so that um, everybody who is interested can really check, okay, we are not doing anything uh, against the community, against the German people. Um, and of course, also to enable other people to contribute, both with issues, um, and but also bug fixes and probably additional features. So that was the one aspect. And the second aspect was uh, community management. Um, of course, uh, once we um, open sourced uh, documentation, coding, and related things, um, people um, uh, also engaged with us. And uh, we needed to check that everything is uh, doing um, in a, let's say, uh, in a good way. Um, so that we also needed to enforce a code of conduct, for example, um, so that we have a healthy discussion, a uh, productive discussion. Um, and that everything is done in a professional way and they don't, uh, let's say, um, let things uh, go into a direction that um, yeah, might not be beneficial for the case in the end. Okay, so that is basically the usual job of a community manager, the last part that you described, only that it had this special... Um, parameter of being about a pandemic that concerns everyone and everyone has their own ideas about how things are to handle and everything, which was probably a little more challenging for the community manager, right? Yeah, on in some discussions, definitely. Yeah, So, uh, of course, um, the, the whole um, discussions and also concerns uh, were reflected in, in some of the issues we got on GitHub. Um, but uh, I was also positively surprised, uh, to be honest, that uh, we didn't get that many of these people who uh, question the, the role of the Corona One app in general. Uh, also, so in general, we had a pretty, pretty solid discussion, very professional, 
One thing uh, I, I wondered about when you were just uh, answering the last question is, uh, was the main reason to do it open source really the transparency or was it getting the contributions? It was definitely the transparency. Okay. So you, you probably also remember the public debate here in Germany um, when, uh, yeah, there were several um, initiatives already starting before we got the contract from the German federal government. Um, some of them were not really developed in the open. Um, and we also have, um, of course, um, a, a very, very good uh, community, especially when it comes to data privacy, also um, related to uh, the German history, of course, and also what, what has happened over the last decades, so to say, and that they were really, really urging the German federal government to uh, to make this open source because it needs trust. Yeah. And uh, without trust, people won't use this Corona One app. Um, transparency was the main driver to make that open source. And I, I don't even know what you're saying about the German history. Are you trying to implicate there were times when Germans spied on Germans? Uh, I think so. Yes, yes. That's something I want to... I want yeah, to. Just, yeah, just just, kidding. If you're listening from a very far away part of the world and you're not very old yet, uh, you can look it up. We're the best professionals in spying on each other. And that is why transparency was very important here. Um, you were the community manager and the public relations guy in this, right? One of them, one of them, yeah. How did you end up in that role? At the very beginning, um, we were simply um, contacted by um, the the people within SAP who started uh, this Corona Warner project uh, because we have an established open source process uh, within SAP. So each and every project that wants to go open source or that, or that needs to go open source needs to complete uh, the so-called open source outbound process by SAP. There are some uh, legal obligations. We need to check the license. We need to check if the responsibilities are fine. Um, and um, so the Corona One app also um, just came to our desk. It was not the usual project. Um, so it wasn't done by checking, okay, we use uh, this and that license. Uh, of course, responsibilities are clear, um, deadlines are clear, uh, repositories, and so on and so on. Um, they needed much, much more. And um, because they needed much, much more, um, and also with respect to, let's say, know-how, uh, knowledge, um, and also some background, possibly, um, who has already some experience with uh, open source communities, um, either from SAP itself or in private life. Where did you gain yours? Yeah, well, in a minute. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm sorry. I basically volunteered for that and uh, the, the role simply grew over weeks. And in the end, uh, I was one of several people, of course, I was not the only one, um, who basically... Uh, did the community management uh, and answered the questions and also checked the website. And coming back to your questions, where did I gain mine? Of course, I haven't worked in such a huge open source project uh, so far. Right In my private life, um, developing software, mobile applications um, for uh, not for iOS and also not for Android. It's for um, yeah, a, a niche uh, mobile operating system called Selfish OS. 
they have developed uh, several several apps, um, also dealt, of course, with the community there. And of course, it's on a much, much uh, lower scale than as here, but um, at least I had some experience um, how to deal also with very, very critical people. So that at least means uh, you did have a public GitHub profile before you became the community manager for the app. Indeed, indeed. I even had two, to be honest. So one a business and one for my private. private. Okay. I think you have a pretty particular nickname, uh, you told me before. Uh, do you want to share that, what your private GitHub nickname is? The private nickname is Wunderfitz. Um, so even for, for many, many Germans, it might not be obvious at the very beginning what that means. Um, it's uh, it's coming, or it's a, a word from my local dialect uh, where I grew up, so um, close to the Swiss border in very, very uh, southern Germany. And it doesn't mean anything else but uh, a curious person. Okay, um, let's return to the Corona Warn app. In the end, basically, do you feel that the fact that we have a technologized world does help in dealing with uh, such a virus? Uh, I'm convinced that this is the case. Absolutely. So if we haven't had um, mobile devices in our pockets um, equipped with uh, Bluetooth, um, which um, enables us to at least estimate distance and close contacts with other people just because it's there. So you don't need to buy additional hardware. You don't need to invent anything else. You, in, yeah, you only need to uh, develop some additional apps on top of the existing devices. That, of course, facilitates um, that a lot. You have already started to share some details when you said Bluetooth, uh, because that's that's the basis on which uh, the app works. Uh, why is it Bluetooth? Why, I don't know, other thing that comes to mind is GPS. Why was the decision made for Bluetooth? Yeah, so it was also some kind of an evaluation and learning process over the very, especially at the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, uh, there were several countries uh, who were um, either exclusively or um, also partially using GPS, for example, as, um, let's say, a means to, to trace back people if they have met or not. Uh, for example, Iceland, if I recall correctly. Um, but um, due to the fact that um, GPS doesn't work properly indoors, um, and it's also not that uh, exact that uh, it really can trace you back if you really have met somebody with uh, let's say a distance of two meters or three meters or four meters or one meter, um, then it's not helping that much. It simply can only tell you, okay, you probably might have been in the area. Um, also, if you live in a four or five story house, it's also not really close. So it doesn't help that much. It could only be serving as, as an additional indicator. Um, if you already remember, okay, that might be the case that I have met this this particular person. Uh, Bluetooth or Bluetooth Low Energy, <clears throat> what we are using right now is is much better uh, because um, with respect to the intensity of the signals um, and also the way how it works, because it doesn't need a satellite, you only need the devices in your pockets. Uh, it also works indoors um, and you can estimate of course it's a not an exact uh, distance measurement that's also very important it's just um, let's say based on several um, uh, yeah 
measurements that have uh, taken place also with uh, the Fraunhofer Institute here in Germany. Um, so this and that attenuation, so the, the signal is not that strength anymore after one meter, after two meters, you can derive, okay, um, now this particular person is now in a distance of approximately, very important, approximately one meter, two meter, three meter from me. Well, I guess, I guess the virus is also, or at least the infection with the virus is also not exact. Precisely. So it doesn't exactly infect you within 1.5 meters and doesn't infect you anymore after 3.2 or something like that. Something like that. That's totally fine. Doesn't isn't isn't also another problem with GPS? Uh, would that wouldn't that have required uh, some centralized architecture if one had gone with GPS? Uh, not necessarily. So um, in the end, also GPS could have been done uh, in a decentral way so that you only uh, record um, the, the respective uh, locations on your local device. And only afterwards, if you have been tested positive, just upload your, let's say, location history um, to, to the server. However, it's much more privacy problematic, so to say, because um, you would basically expose your location history. With Bluetooth, uh, you only expose anonymous or pseudonymous um, IDs, um, which um, are yeah, random. So uh, you could only you could even not trace back the locations of these let's say exposures where you where you met people. So it's it's much much better from a privacy uh, perspective. Um, of course, you could also do the the Bluetooth uh, technology in a central and decentralized way. So um, there are several dimensions to this problem. That's also uh, everything what I wanted to say. Um, you could use uh, GPS in a central and decentralized way uh, from a privacy uh, perspective. The decentralized Bluetooth way is the best uh, from what we know at the, and what also works, by the way. <laughs> so correct me if I'm wrong. All the app, uh, before you maybe get notified by your doctor or by the clinic or someone that you have tested positive, Everything that happens until then is only that the, the devices basically peer-to-peer -peer exchange. We have been close to each other. Exactly. They exchange random IDs um, and everything is stored exclusively locally on your personal device. Nothing is shared with the central infrastructure. Um, and if you have tested positive, you have uh, once again an opt-in that you share these local IDs that you've met over the last 14 days with a with a server, so um, there's even an additional decision point there um, if you want that or not. Okay, and so basically, when I the the opt in point opt in point one is I do install the the app. Opt in point two is I switch Bluetooth on. And opt in point three is when I get a positive result, I actually report this back to the infrastructure. To the infrastructure. Okay. The infrastructure can then distribute the keys and notify the other people. Okay. And even when when I report back to the infrastructure, what becomes known about me centrally or to other users? The only thing that becomes known centrally um, is or are the uh, random IDs of your device that have been sent out over the last fourteen days. And it doesn't even know that this is me. 
Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm also only an anonymous key. You are several anonymous keys. So okay. the, the fun fact is we, um, and the, it's, it's even that good from a privacy perspective that we can only somehow infer how many people have actually been uh, reporting back because of the anonymous keys change uh, from time to time. Of course, there are several attack points. There also have been several papers written about this one. Uh, of course, it's always some kind of a compromise, but um, I'm also, I've been engaged with uh, data privacy initiatives over the last, uh, I could say, already decades. It's the best option from my perspective uh, that could have been done in order to tackle that problem, definitely. And I just wonder, are there timestamps on the on the proximity entries in your diary, or are there no timestamps? There are timestamps, yeah. And also, the um, when you uh, when two devices meet, mm -hmm. there's a timestamp, of course, and there's this uh, attenuation value and some additional metadata, but not that relevant. But these are basically the most important aspects in order to decide, okay, was this um, exposure relevant or not? Because derived on the timestamps, because you also need to say, okay, was it for five minutes? Was it for 10 minutes? Was it for 30 minutes? Um, and the longer, of course, the more problematic it might be. And of course, the closer, so the, the lower the attenuation was, um, the uh, the closer the people or the devices have been together and the more likely it is that uh, an infection has actually been taking place. Would timestamps not possibly enable me to re-engineer a location track as well? Yeah, um, you only if you basically uh, put out um, Bluetooth uh, receivers on several uh, areas, for example, in a city, right? That was one of the um, possible attack points. People said, okay, if I um, play several Bluetooth trackers in Berlin, in Munich, somewhere else, um, and I could also probably couple it with um, a camera or something like that. I record all the um, the beacons which were sent out, and two weeks later, I check the public log. Oh, have I seen some of them? Could I possibly trace them back to the camera recording or something? I was done. I was done, of course, completely illegally. Um, that was one actually one of the attack points. But of course, think about it: how likely it is, and how much effort you need to put into that attack to make it work uh, on a larger scale. If it involves putting up cameras in public places, like uh, unauthorized cameras, uh, we're not talking about actually a vulnerability of the app itself anymore. Yeah, of course, you combine several data, and if you can combine additional data yeah. to something that, but uh, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, I mean, that's major big brother effort there uh, to achieve that, I guess. Who else was critically seen in public? The, the huge project in the end, right? People uh, said, okay, why does it uh, in involve uh, Deutsche Telekom and SAP? Um, why does it take so long? And why is it not ready? It's such a simple, such a simple thingy. Um, and um, yeah, there I simply have to say, especially when it also became obvious, uh, partially at least from our discussion with data privacy, a lot of things need to be taken into account in such a big project, especially if you target the whole 
um, population of Germany or a certain percentage. Yeah, you say it's becoming effective from 15% of the population. If, if it's used by 15% of the population, you need to check security infrastructure that it works 24-7. Um, you need to have uh, the legal aspect covered. You need to have... Um, yeah, the software development properly covered, um, also uh, continuous maintenance. And, and that's often forgotten. Uh, you need to also cover uh, documentation and user assistance in the end, especially uh, when it comes to end users. Um, there are many, many questions. People uh, simply want to know how it works um, and they simply want to call somebody. And uh, we have a hotline in place, both uh, for the pure usage of the app and for to, to get the um, transaction number to upload your, your test results or your diagnosis keys. Diagnosis keys are the keys uh, that are the, these random IDs which you have exchanged um, and uh, you want to inform uh, the other people. And that all combined, uh, of course, I understand or we all understand that um, it might not be obvious at the very beginning uh, why it definitely needs that many efforts, why it needs that many resources. Um, but just put it on the other way around. If we, or if that wouldn't, if that hadn't been done that way, uh, probably there would also have been many, many discussions. Okay. Uh, why was this aspect not covered? Why is uh, this security uh, hole still there? Um, and so on and so on. You all know these discussions. Um, also, given the time frame we had, um, there was simply uh, the only chance to, to put some additional resources on top of that to, to make this work and uh, to bring that to the public within uh, just, uh, let's say, 60 days or so. So in the end, those that brought up the criticism that they could have themselves with their startup or whatever could have done that 10 times faster and 10 times cheaper just simply did not reckon with all the collateral activities, basically, that coding in the end is maybe, I don't know, 10% of the effort or something like that? Probably. I wouldn't phrase it that uh, to that extent, but I, I simply want to say uh, there's a lot, lot more behind the curtains uh, that need to be taken into account in such a huge project than just uh, pure software development and probably some documentation and some uh, some community management. Uh, you just mentioned the topic of community management again, which was actually your core responsibility in this one, right? Uh, were there a lot of contributions from people outside of SAP or Deutsche Telekom? Yeah, so especially at the very beginning, um, when we brought this out, also even before we actually released the code with respect to documentation, um, and uh, also related aspects such as a website with FAQ entries, we really had a lot of um, contributions. So um, that actually also surprised me. Uh, I, I talked to one of the developers or several developers and similar, several of them um, had the similar feedback. So for each and every hour they needed to invest to, to review uh, external contributions, especially when it comes to uh, quality aspects. Um, the the value what they received from the community um, was at least double the effort they need to put in. So for each and every single hour they needed to invest, they get two hours of value back, and that's really something we can not underline uh, more here. Um, that's really the value of open source and contributions um, 
in uh, in such an open source project. However, and that's uh, that's the other side as well. Um, I also need to admit that, uh, of course, we couldn't accept uh, as many contributions as we probably wanted to, wanted to get, and that's uh, pretty much also due to the fact of the special nature of this project. Um, so, uh, and the special nature of this project is uh, we have uh, on the one hand side um, the um, institutions who contract contracted SAP and Deutsche Telekom to to build that infrastructure, the app, and all everything around it. That's um, that's the Robert Koch Institute and the German Ministry for Health, and um, they pretty much uh, they pay the money and they pretty much tell us what to do what they expect from the software, from the infrastructure, and they are also responsible for the legal aspects, for example, where the app is released, uh, which languages are, are released, and also they have assumed the responsibility. And of course, therefore, some of the contributions we would probably have accepted in an open source, in a standard community-driven uh, open source project, couldn't be accepted in in this special project just because, um, yeah, um, it's it's uh, basically a work uh, defined by um, by our partners. Yeah, so that's that's basically uh, the other side of the metal. How was this set up uh, to reflect their their role as a supervisory instance, basically in the community and in the overall operating model? Yeah, so um, we had uh, several work streams set up um, on the side of Deutsche Telekom and SAP. Uh, for example, for open source, for development, for security, for data privacy, and so on. And, and these had several meetings, uh, sometimes daily, sometimes more often, sometimes also less often, with uh, the partners on Robert Koch Institute side and um, and the Federal Ministry for Health, and. Uh, we were, of course, part in these discussions. And on the other hand, we set up uh, the, the normal open source um, process with uh, a GitHub organization, repositories. We accepted uh, issues, uh, pull requests, and of course, also feature requests on, on, on that end side. And uh, while we were setting up uh, these uh, repositories, also the, the issued templates, so when somebody wanted to to file an issue, file a pull request and a feature request. Um, especially on the documentation side, we made it really clear that uh, SAP and Deutsche Telekom were pretty much only the ones um, who uh, are implementing that and uh, that the responsibles for the actual features who are contracting us are basically the Robert Koch Institute um, and uh, the German federal government. Of course, um, we are publicly received as the ones who develop that, and that distinction is not always crystal clear. Um, we had to explain that in, in a lot of cases. And of course, um, if something goes wrong, we are also being taken responsible um, that something is not working properly, um, though we probably might not be the culprit. Probably it might be in the infrastructure, on the devices, it might be in the requirements. It might be because we implemented something wrong. In the end, uh, we are in direct contact with the end user and we um, are the first contacts when something is not really uh, properly working. And we, of course, also needed to explain that. 
in addition to, yes, we take that and we need to take care that it works again. Maybe let's uh, go towards the grand finale with uh, the two most interesting positive or critical feedbacks that you got. I, I know about a very early one and about a very spectacular one. I'm, I, you might know what I'm getting at. Uh, I'm curious if, if I know that. So, so one of the most interesting things uh, which, which I came across was uh, – Probably the um, one interview with uh, Linus Neumann from the Chaos Computer Club, um, who was interviewed by Tages, Tagesschau, I think, if I recall correctly, asking for feedback about the Corona One app from a data privacy perspective. And uh, Germans, or uh, probably also Europeans, know that the Chaos Computer Club is notorious uh, for let's say, being really, really harsh uh, in, in that regards and checking it to the detail. And they said, well, or he said, uh, it's it's the first time and it's also strange for me that I need to say uh, they did it right. That's, that, that is a very strong one from, from uh, the CCC, the Chaos Computer Club. Uh, just quickly for the international listeners, uh, Tagesschau, which Sebastian mentioned, is like the news show on German television. The, it has always been there and will always be there um, and everybody watches it. And the Chaos Computer Club, They go back to being day one hackers from back in the early 80s, right? Who Probably, yeah. hacked like the first instances of teletext uh, and things like that and have now basically arrived um, in the IT mainstream society by being the experts for data privacy, security, and so on. Right. And then there was this early feedback about documentation that I remember. Um, I just heard this story about uh, one of the, the very earliest feedbacks uh, when you published the documentation was that it was not fully gender sensitive. Uh, that was one, actually one of the first issues we received, I think, on the first or second day um, when we uh, published the first documentation. Um, and uh, yeah, you all know it's, it's a very uh, delicate and sensitive topic. And, uh, of course, we as SAP and also Deutsche Telekom uh, take care for that. Um, and uh, we haven't been that sensitive as we probably should have been at the very beginning. Um, but that's also one important aspect. Um, in all these things, besides coding that we need to take care of, uh, we simply took the feedback, um, checked what's possible and what could be uh, really uh, extended when it comes to code of conduct and also ourselves, what we need to do when we write documentation and code, published a statement. Um, and um, yeah, that was also really well received in the end. What are you, your one, two, three main takeaways out of this Corona Warn App project as a closing question that is now? The involvement of the public, um, also cooperation with uh, public institutions, how to handle um, an open source project, especially if it's that big one, uh, properly and how to learn from it, how to do it better for, for the next project, right? So um, plan properly, uh, prepare for the worst. That's really important. Uh, be glad if the worst uh, doesn't happen. Um, and um, also uh, be open when it comes to feedback from the outside world. 
um, to incorporate this feedback in your daily uh, in your daily work and try also to convince other people um, to um, let's say accept that there are many many very very good positive constructive um, elements feedback out there that is just waiting to be incorporated in the product and that brings us all um, further uh, or makes us better um, as we said before one hour invested to review the code probably two three hours uh, in return um, and um, that's also something i would take as an um, as a task for the future to convince more and more people that this is really the essence of open source um, that it's beneficial to invest in open source to get more back. All right, great. Thanks, Sebastian. That sounds like many people should remember that for as long as possible. Thank you, Sebastian, for being our guest here today. Definitely appreciate that. Thanks for hosting me. Yeah. Thanks for being here again. You out there, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it as often as you can and subscribe to the podcast in all the regular places. You may have encountered this on the SAP or Open SAP website, but we will also be in all your regular podcast channels. Uh, so spread the word and be back in two weeks when we'll have the next episode of the Open Source Way. Thank you. Is now the involvement of the public, um, also cooperation with uh, public institutions, how to handle um, an open source project, especially if it's that big one, uh, properly, and how to learn from it, how to do it better for for the next project. Right. So um, plan properly, uh, prepare for the worst. That's really important. Uh, be glad if the worst. Uh, doesn't happen um, and um, also uh, be open when it comes to feedback from the outside world um, to incorporate this feedback in your daily uh, in your daily work and try also to convince other people um, to um, let's say accept that there are many many very very good positive constructive um, elements feedback out there that is just waiting to be incorporated in the product and that brings us all um, further uh, or makes us better. Um, as we said before, one hour invested to review the code, probably two, three hours uh, in return. Um, and um, that's also something I would take as, an, um, as a task for the future to convince more and more people that this is really the essence of open source, um, that it's beneficial to invest in open source to get more back. All right, great. Thanks, Sebastian. That sounds like many people should remember that for as long as possible. Thank you, Sebastian, for being our guest here today. Definitely appreciate that. Thanks for hosting me. Yeah.
Thanks for being here again. You out there, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it as often as you can and subscribe to the podcast in all the regular places. You may have encountered this on the SAP or Open SAP website, but we will also be in all your regular podcast channels. Uh, so spread the word and be back in two weeks when we'll have a next episode of the Open Source Way. Thank you. Thank you.